to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. This is your host, Dave Swillam, and today you're tuning in for episode 35 of the podcast. So happy to have you here. So last week, we talked to Jeff from Exeter Drumworks about making a product yourself and bringing that to market and kind of some of the things that he's done to jump out of his job and into that lifestyle and and make it happen. This week, I wanted to share some insider knowledge of the music industry with artists and audio engineers and anyone that works with people in the music industry maybe you're a graphic designer or you're a video producer or whatever it is that you do that might be affiliated with them it's a really good idea to understand how the industry works and the challenges that they're facing to better serve them so i thought that this would be a good episode i met joe at an audio engineer society convention in la maybe 3 years ago when we were eating some food we started talking And that summer, I connected with him and did some vocal work for him, uh, editing and tuning vocals. And he really changed my perspective of how to look at a vocal in a mix and how to treat it, which has had a big impact on me. Joe is behind a ridiculous amount of very cool artists. He has backed up 31 million records sold with his work, with credits ranging from Macy Gray, Fergie, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Rick Rubin, and, and tons of other companies and, and artists and producers. So he was a really smart guy. And he helps people get into the industry with different training and, and camps, as well as is still a large producer working in the field, going around to different countries and always on the move. So I wanted to reconnect with Joe, get an inside scoop on the music industry and share it with you guys. Hopefully it's helpful. I got a lot out of this as well of of how to look at the industry and approach things with a simple view, really, of what you should be focused on to go after it. If you guys want to support me, my Patreon is now up and running. You can go to patreon.com slash waking up from work. I've got three tiers on there. First tier is getting a shout out on here. You can be my first shout out at the beginning of this to say, hey, check out so-and-so from whatever you're doing. Second tier is getting some content catered for you. I might not even go out on any of my platforms, but a video or an explanation or some type of thing that's brief to dive into a topic that maybe I haven't covered on here specific to your needs. And then the third tier is actually getting a coaching session or even a jam time with me where I might be able to add some value to you. Maybe I can help you with music or podcasting or audio editing or your business, or maybe you just want to talk about your hustle with me off air and just really just talk through it with someone. All of these are ways that you can support me trying to cover up my overhead costs for this thing. And hopefully all of them would add some type of value to you. So head on over there, help me out, or you can go right to crawlspaceaudio.com and anything that you do with me for services there is directly my side hustle and it feeds me. So Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Get ready, get seated, or get dog walking and check out episode 35 of the Waking Up From Work podcast. Cheers. Okay, (laughs) I'll shoot for noon 01 and split the difference. All right, welcome back, people, to the Waking Up From Work podcast. This is Dave Swillam, your host. Today, you're listening to episode 35. I have to practice to do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Today, I wanted to continue on our music spree right here because the podcast is about creative careers and building the life that you want. And I'm a musician, audio person, so I kind of try to bridge the gap, but sometimes I go off on little side things. So I'm getting caught up today on my music stuff. So I wanted to pull in Joe here. Um, This is a gentleman who has backed up producing Macy Gray, Fergie, credits with Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Rick Rubin, has pushed behind 34 million records. Is that right? So, something like that. Uh, right. <laughs> I think it might be closer to 31, but 
what's the difference? Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> so, three million records, actually. That's a lot. But, so, um, uh, Joe, Joe, I met um, at the Audio Engineer Society convention like three or four years ago for like a nanosecond. I think I like was in the same, like we were both, we went up to some top floor of the convention that I think that we weren't supposed to be at or something because it was super quiet and we were both eating food in the same room. And that's how I got connected with you. And then you gave, funny, like, I mean, I mean like so many people serendipitously that way at Starbucks or wherever, you know, you just sit next to somebody. Hey, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, music. Oh, me too. And boom, it's off. That's how it goes, man. So thank you for joining me. I know that you just like traveled like a crazy amount and you're a busy dude. So thanks for hanging out for a little bit today, Joe. Yeah. 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 I was just in South America for about 10 days. South America. Um, checking out the Latin music scene. Heck yeah. And it's a huge market. It's a great market. But, yeah. Uh, I've, I just talked to a friend who lives in Brazil and is doing uh, some audio production that way. And he said that it's a different market than here, but it's still, it's like, it's on fire. Like there's a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I guess um, uh, the focus for us today is to help people make the the switch from being stuck in a nine to five to either making music you're living. Yep. Well, no, or, that's it. That is it. Right. I mean, it's, so it's, I generalize it because I, I talk to a lot of different backgrounds, but mm-hmm. it is a, like, I personally am working to create my full-time income from audio. Right. But we talk to people who are making their passion, whatever it may be, what they do for work and they're probably thinking about it on their way into commute right now or they're they're starting it inside hustling and working nine to five then doing six hours working nine to five six hours yeah and, and so uh, making, making the jump from being being a paid slave basically to uh owning your own schedule but then also being responsible for everything right and i wanted and, to pick uh, your brain specifically because you have so much content whether it's teaching or blog where you're talking about directly to, to people on what they should be doing to break into the new music industry at this point. You've seen a lot yeah. of change in your time as a producer. The industry has completely changed in your time and you've adapted and seen your way through. So I wanted to get your take on, on all of it, I guess. Yeah. The stuff I, the stuff I send out um, and uh, it's all just tips on, how to be successful in music, but a lot of it is in how to avoid not being successful. Uh, Fair. I mean, there's, there's no exact formula that we could just plug in and do. Otherwise we'd all be big, rich rock stars. But, um, but there's a lot of things that tend to work and a lot of things that more than 10, but just definitely don't work. The people that, uh, think they know how the industry operates without having been in it are at a disadvantage. And that's almost everyone. It was me when I started out too. Um, everyone has this picture of like how, how they think it works and it's right. usually way off. And part of the problem is there's plenty of experts. I use, you know, firm air quotes who are, who are, trying to show people, you know, how to make it in music by someone who never did themselves. So there's a lot of bad information out there, a lot of it. And even um, sometimes at the colleges and universities, it depends on the instructor you get. Completely. You know, if you get someone who's teaching an antiquated business model to a new generation, of music professionals and audio professionals that's dangerous so it's hit or miss with some of those places and then if you get someone who like really knows what they're talking about they're actively working in the industry now ooh, you've struck pay dirt because you're getting like the most current information and and you're networking at the same time with someone who's like doing it. doing it yeah and they know it's working now right instead of 15 years ago saying what people should do right now if they're not being yeah. hit with the same challenges or 
Yeah, but the principles are the same, which is good songwriting. I mean, everything starts with that. Good songwriting, at least, you know, if, if you want to be an artist, um, without a good song, you're lost. You got Definitely. nothing. And, you, and you nowadays... You can't build a good, whenever I'm talking, you know, build, you can't make an amazing recording out of a bad song. Or if you're... Well, when so if someone comes to me to produce, you know, and hires me to produce the song and it's a bad song, all I could do is give them a very professional, crystal clear, larger than life picture of a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when that's the case, before we even start pre-production, we start pre-pre-production, which is work on the song and, and get the song to the point, you know, where it's like undeniably a great song. Um, and then it's time to start producing it. And what, um, there are what, what indicators get like, what do you, how do you feel when you've gotten it to that point where you're like, now we're ready? I mean, obviously you've had experience over time. So like you probably intuitively know when a song strikes you right now. But yeah. What I, would I, call you say? It, I call it my vibe meter. It's kind of like an internal meter. It just kind of goes, Wing, that's it. But, um, but uh, to give your listeners just something to wrap their brains around, there's a concept I have called universal appeal. And that means in terms of the lyrics, relatability. Cool. The more people that can relate to what you're talking about, more hearts and minds you're going to connect with. And that's what the artist's job is, is, is to connect with the audience. And uh, uh, in a book I'm writing, I got a saying, it says a good song expresses what people or a good song says what people don't know how to express awesome you know and how often have you like played a song for someone that you liked you're like this is how i feel about you and the song says it better than you could ever do it right um and you look through like how many songs there are about love and how many songs there are about breakups but that's <laughs> direct to your point where you're like everyone can relate to those topics everyone can yeah, right. so if you're writing about something that's like ultra personal, you're writing about the rubber ducky that your grandma gave you as a kid and it's a special memento. I don't know <laughs> if a whole lot of people are going to relate to that. Um, even though at last count, everybody has had a grandma. But Cult, cult <laughs> classic out there. You yeah. know, but you can expand the idea out and make it a little bit more general so that it's got universal appeal so that everyone can relate to it. You know, that is one aspect of what I would call a good song. Okay. Um, another one is how, how, how the song, and a lot of this can come down to production too, makes the body move. You know, when Rhythm. I test everything, like, well, yeah, like when I test material out, I look at people listening to it and not people I know strangers because you play stuff for people, you know, they don't want to hurt your feelings. They're all going to be supportive. It's, oh, we love it. It's great. Joe. Wonderful. It has, it's, you know, you can't, you can't trust it. It's, unless you have that, like that friend who's like so brutally honest, they'll rip apart your dream with it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a good friend to have sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The best. And, uh, but you look at people while they're listening to your song, are their toes tapping? Is their neck moving? Or if it's a more introspective chill song, are they looking kind of down like this and like really taking it in? Or does the iPhone come out and they start doing their texts or their, do their eyes start wandering around? Then they're, they've, you've lost them. How do you find, so, like, do you have like a common way that you do that? Like, do you just go into public? Like, Cause I look for bias. Like I've been, I remember I was at like the mechanic shop with my truck once and I had uh -huh. a mix that I was working on and I tried to play it off. Like it was a class project or something. I was like, Hey, can you listen to this? Like, and check this out and just to, to hear, to try to get some non-biased takes, like where do you share that to, to be able to try to make well, sure that no one's interfering with their thought on it. At a party, uh, if you've got a song that's appropriate for a club, talk to the DJ and, Say, you know, give, give this a listening, your headphones for a few seconds. And if you like, you know, feel the groove and you want to play it for everyone, play it. Cool. You know, 
and um, a simple party. And here's sort of a trick, not to see if your your song is good, but to see if it if it's not good. You see, if it's good, no one says or does anything. But if it's bad, within 30 seconds, someone's like, what is this crap? Change this, please. Turn it off. <laughs> you know? So that's how, you, that's how you find out if it's not resonating with the audience. Fair. Um, and then it's important, it's important to be true to yourself. And at the same time, you got to pay attention to um, if, if a lot of people are saying the same things, whether it's positive or negative or somewhere in between, if a lot of people are saying the same thing, you got to pay attention to that. Um, okay. I remember doing this piano instrumental and it had this really slow sort of wandering bridge section that I thought was a nice departure from the rest of the song. But almost everyone I played it for, that's where they lost interest. And they were like, you got to cut that section out. The rest of wow. the song is great, but that part's boring. And then I'm lost, you know? And uh, so, you know, sure. the the you know, the artist in me was like, oh, no, you just don't get it. But that's how we just rationalized to ourselves. It's you your know, baby. That, we, that, 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 you know, yeah, that my baby is imperfect. And Sacred cow. So I cut the section out and then all of a sudden, you know, it worked and they were right. So it's important. Now, if half the people are saying one thing or half people are saying another, well, then just do what you want. But you everyone know. thinks their baby is adorable, but there are ugly babies in the world. Yeah, yeah. We can't all be funny. You know, everyone <laughs> thinks they're funny too, but we can't all be funny. Right. <laughs> you know, we all think we're funny yeah. and smart and, and have great personalities. And, and, and there's, you know, I don't know. I don't know anybody who's like perfectly funny, smart, and great personality. Uh, without any imperfections, but for some reason, the the artist's ego falls in love, rightfully so, because these are these are babies of their creativity, and a lot of time it's the artist's soul being exposed. Yes, and someone comes along and says, "Oh, I don't like that chorus. That 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 silly. That's stupid." It's like in like a minute, you know, and you've been working on it for maybe but, weeks weeks hours years whatever you know but the point is that um the 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 point is, is your job is to connect with and move people in some way and if you're not you're not and you have to just sort of you know unbutton your ego and just take it out and put it aside for a second and be professional and say okay this part isn't working for a lot of people I need to pay attention to that. Sure. So, and, or, or like uh, one time I'm doing a mix um, and, and I've got a, a pretty substantial uh, setup at home where I can mix at home. Um, so one day I'm mixing and my 10 year old daughter, who's kind of like been around this stuff all her life, you know, comes running into the room and she's like, dad, the lead vocals are too low. You got to tweak it up. You got to tweak it up. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, Hmm, let's see. I didn't ask for her opinion. I didn't say anything. I didn't even know she was listening to the song. And she comes running in and telling me this, maybe there's something to it. And, and, and she was right. The vocals were just a little bit too buried. And, uh, in the final master, her influence, uh, caused the change to be permanent. And, that's where it sits right now and forevermore. That's the amazing. Vocal, the vocal on that song is better because it's just a little bit more on top of the mix. And, and I think this is important for people who are producing their own music. Yes. Um, or, you know, any aspiring producers, a common amateur mistake is to fall in love with the musical arrangement and the mix and, and all the stuff that often the producer doesn't have anything to do with and the vocals get buried. Like if you're producing a vocalist, I, I hear this all the time. You know, where people come to me and they're like, yeah, the first time I recorded, I could never hear the vocals. 
the vocals were never loud enough. It's because subconsciously the producer has fallen in love with their own arrangement and somehow wants that to be heard and felt more than the actual vocal. And the vocal is treated as sort of like this secondary citizen, uh, second-class citizen. And it's really the other way around. The vocal has got to be the top of the pyramid, the front of the mix, the, the, the main thing that the audience's ear focuses on. Right. Because we're not all, not every listener is the drummer or the guitarist or whatever it is. Well, well, none of them are. You, you <laughs> none of them mean? are that drummer and that played on that and that guitarist. And well, yeah, you, what you just mentioned makes me think of another thing with bands. Of course, everybody wants their parts to be a little bit louder. You know, I got a five person band I'm recording and like secretly like, and individually revisions you know, in <laughs> oh by the, by the bass player comes up by the way i think the bass can use a little bump up and you know the guitarist will come oh by the way the guitars are too low and you know the drummer comes up oh by the way you know i think there should be more drums and so to avoid this kind of um situation at the very beginning of meeting a group i'll say you have to you have to elect one person to speak for the band. Nice. Because otherwise we got like five different people with five different opinions coming at me all at the same time. Right. And so, you know, take the mixes home, discuss them as a band, come to some decisions if you want some changes. And then one person comes in the studio with me and discusses the changes. Nice. And, and, and then at the very end, everybody still comes in and we do maybe some final tweaks. But at that point, the mix is like so close to being done that those, those issues aren't issues. Um, That's a good move. So, you know, a lot of producing, in fact, I'd say, I'd say the majority of it is, is psychological. It's psychology. It's, it's, uh, a good 85 to 90% psychology, creativity, music, lots of non-technical aspects, and as well as being married to knowledge of the technical aspects and audio engineering, which is just so important because if it's not engineered at a professional seasoned level, it's not going to sound like it's ready for the radio or ready to be on a TV show or a movie. And if it's not at that broadcast quality standard, uh, you can pitch it to the movies and the TV shows all you want, but just based on the just based on the audio quality, it'll get rejected outright. Right. That's something that a lot of people don't realize is that um, music supervisors, the ones in charge of of you know finding music for film and TV and video games, etc., commercials. That's the first thing they listen for is is it broadcast quality. Because if it's not, they have no use for the song. And they never come back and say, we love the song, but here, here's 15 grand, go remix it. Or, you know, that doesn't happen. Either it's ready to go or it's not. So right. it, it really has to be ready to go. And that, like requires, the you know, that, that requires a more serious investment of time, money, energy, passion, everything. But the payoff can be enormous. And I don't just mean financially, but, but spiritually life satisfaction. There is nothing that feels greater than when you're out in public and suddenly one of the songs, one of your songs gets played. That is so cool. But for me, the first time it happened, it was at a 24 hour grocery store called Ralph's in California. And I was doing some late night shopping. It's like three or four in the morning <laughs> and there's nobody there except the guys who are like, you know, restocking the shelves. And, and one of the songs <laughs> that Macy Gray and I wrote, one of the first songs that she and I wrote that came out on the radio, um, it's called sweet baby. Um, it came out in the background music in the store and I felt like I just wanted to share the moment with someone, you know, it was exciting. It's my first time hearing, 
you know, stop own, stalking that know. shelf. Come hang out. And there's like this guy down there, and and you know, I'm like, hey, dude, I gotta tell you, I wrote that song, <laughs> and he's like, you know, easy, you are cool, yeah, <laughs> you know, or like, he's okay, like, sure, dude, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, that's uh, awesome. Or like at a movie theater, if it comes on um, in the background music, or if it's on a TV show. That's great. You know, get, getting music on TV is great uh, because there's the initial license fee that they pay, or fees, I should say, because there's multiple fees they pay. And then every time that show is broadcast, a royalty is generated. So if it becomes a hit show, you've got checks coming in for a very mm. long time. If, it, if it's a big hit, like a Seinfeld or something like that, um, and I use this example because because uh my best friend uh worked for the composer of seinfeld as his music editor awesome and and not only did it run for eight or so seasons but then it goes into syndication in different territories all over the world and it keep, just keeps going and going and going and that money is coming in the guy's 43 he's retired oh he's got five kids in a mansion in virginia and he lives off his royalties very nicely. Um, wow. And, and, and Seinfeld was not the only show he did, but, you know, that's the, that was the mega, that was the lottery ticket. Yeah. You know, that he, that he won. Although I shouldn't put it that way because it's not like he didn't have anything to do with it. it was, it's not just lottery. Uh, but luck is a big factor. There's so many things you could do to tilt the scales of luck in your favor. Right. You have to put the blood, sweat and tears in to make it so that you have enough at bats to get that lucky time. Yeah. Right. It's like you're working constantly to make it so that you can have luck. You're like making your own luck. Yeah. You, you never know when opportunities is going to kind of fall in your lap. You know, I mean, just like, just like you and I were hungry at the same time and found a place to eat. And here we are now doing a podcast together years later. You yeah. just don't know where things are going to lead to, but if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're open to the unknown, which can be scary, but it's also exciting because that's, that's like your success never ends up how you envisioned it. It's always different. It's, you know, it's an adventure. It's a journey. It's twists and turns. You know, I, I started out wanting to be a rock guitar player in a, in a band, you know, wanted to do the whole rock star thing. Yeah. And for whatever reason, uh, the bands that I was playing in when I came out to Hollywood um, were not resonating with anybody, not industry, not the audiences, not anybody. Uh, but I was also writing and producing and working in a recording studio and developing my production chops, technically pr developing my production chops um, humanistically, mm -hmm. learning how to motivate and inspire a performance and to put it all together and, and in such a way where I'm not a dictator, but I'm a synergistic creative partner Awesome with the artist. And because that's where the real magic is, is like they have their ideas and you have yours and then they lead to little, they, they make little baby ideas that are better than what either one of us individually would have thought of. Definitely. And, Creators and, create together, right? Collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration is key. It's really key. And um, there's also a, uh, it's a good, it's a good strategy to work with other people because if I got 20 songs out there with 20 other people and they're all hustling it too. All right. So that's 20 additional people who are working to make that music, you know, hit big as opposed to if I write everything myself and it's just me, I'm just one person. Right. I'd rather have 20 seeds planted and I own half of it instead of, you know, just a few seeds planted and I own it all. Um, so there's sort of a there's an additional benefit of collaboration being a good 
business strategy, the music business strategy. Past all obviously stimulating creativity. It's also just a way to, in, in addition to networks, everyone crosses audiences and then you have more people that are moving that along. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually have even more than that because then they have their own network of people who are, you know, working their manager and their publisher. And, you know, you end up leveraging the effort of a lot of people without any additional effort. And you probably end up with a better song than if you do it by yourself. Right. Now, now that's not always the case. Sometimes there's artists who just such great songwriters. You know, it's there. And when, when, when an artist like that hires me to produce them, the smart thing to do is, is recognize that it's already just there and not change anything. That, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, I got to get my parts in or I got to get something of me in. Yeah. You know, if it's, a, if, it's, if it's already great, don't mess with it. Also, no, not to, yeah, not to mess with the good thing. Yeah. You see it. So earlier, you mentioned that everyone who's outside of the music industry trying to get in, see things in a certain way, and it's different from the inside when you're already in there. What, what do you see as the differences, like now being in the industry versus when you weren't in it? What do you think people, what perspective should they have on how the industry really functions from the Repu- inside? Reputation contrary to what is we think? everything. Reputation is everything. You ask any, any seasoned pro, any of my buddies who are in the industry who've been in it for 20, 30 years, what do you got? What's the most valuable thing you have? My reputation. Because um, it's a really, you know, it's a small world. It's a super small music business world. I believe it. And everyone knows everyone or is one or two degrees, you know, separated from everybody but um nobody wants to work with anyone who's difficult because it's just it's too risky you know let's say i've got um a great a musically great artist that i'm developing but they're impossibly difficult to work with now when it comes time to go label shopping, the people at the label are going to pick up on that, and that's going to be the reason why they get rejected, not the music. Right. You know, they're just, and then they're, they're like, going to look at me and boss. go, what are you doing bringing me this, this, this unseasoned, you know, egomaniacal, out-to-lunch, no-clue-how-the-industry-works-or-how-to-even-treat-people person, doesn't matter how great their music is, it's going to be a train wreck because they're not because we can't work with them. No one can work with them. You got to be a good hang. But I wouldn't let that happen because if I identified that as the potential situation, I probably wouldn't take the gig in the first place, you know, or the price would go up so much that I would get compensated, you know, for it so ridiculously <laughs> much that chances are they wouldn't say yes to the price, you know. Um, yes. You know, we call that the jerk hole tax, basically. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually put that in the contract, jerk hole tax. No. You know, but, but it's, in, it's in there. You know, the, fee, the producer fee goes up. <laughs> it sounds vague enough that if I saw that on there, you might think it's some strange insider term or something. Maybe you could get away with it. Jerk hole tax. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I can't believe you don't know about it. Every music business law has this, the jerk hole tax. <laughs> yes they're teaching it at all the universities but, uh, no but the, the thing the thing is is that um I mean, everyone's different my the amount of time i take on a record is a lot um usually it's going to be um on an average of 100 to 125 hours from beginning to end and uh final mix and everything like that from beginning to end and yeah. That's a lot of time. That's a song. That's per song. Wow. So you're going to spend a lot of time with someone. You're going to get to know them really well. You're going to be in the same room for hours and hours and hours. I want to like the person, you know? And that's I'm, a lot and, of time. And, and the relationship between producer and artist 
is, is vital because they have to trust you with their babies. You know, I'm basically coming in as a co-parent, a new co-parent of their babies. And, and I have to trust them too. I have to trust them to speak up when, when I give an idea that does not work. If they're like, well, you're the producer, you know better, we're in trouble. Because if they think something isn't working, I need to hear about it because nobody's going to be perfect in every idea they offer up. Right. Now, I don't care how many records you've sold or how many platinum plaques you have blinding your eyes as, you, as the sun beams in against the wall. It, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody, nobody is always going to be right. So, um, you know, I let the artists know this, that I'm counting on them to speak up if something doesn't work for them. In fact, in my contract, they get final creative approval. Now, I'll fight for an idea if I think it's best for the song. And if they're still not going for it, I'll say, look, you hired me to give you a professional analysis of what we're doing and then take action towards making the best presentation of the song that we can. But you are the final decision maker. So if you want to go a different way, we'll go a different way. We'll roll up our sleeves and we'll do the best version of that that we can. And that'll be fine. So we don't get stuck in argument mode that, you know, I don't ever let that happen. Right. Like there is someone who is the artist that has that final button that they can press and, and veto. They can yeah. press it and, and make that decision. But you right. are in there as like that trusted advisor of like this, I'm, I'm here to lead the ship, but I don't make the call of the very final say on it. That's you. That's if if there's a disagreement. I mean, a lot of times I need to be the person who makes the final call and they've acknowledged that because they may not have the ear or the expertise. Right. After, this is after discussion of an idea that we might not agree on, you know, but, but that's how, that's how you avoid ruining a session. And there is nothing worse than a bad recording session. It's just, oh, it's just, it sucks all your energy away. And it's very rare that that happens for me because of this exact concept of empowering the artist to make to be the final decision maker and, and rarely sure. does it get to that point. But if it does, I go, okay, make a decision and then we'll do it. They'll make the decision. Then we move forward. Um, I think it's important for anyone who's listening to know that making the jump from day job mode to music is your job mode, it can be done. It's done all the time. It's, it requires a level, I'm not going to say a level of commitment, because commitment shouldn't have levels. Either you commit to something or you don't. Either you're going to do it or you're not. So it should require commitment to never quit. And just going to be heartbreak yeah. along the way. I mean, the road to music success is just littered with broken hearts and shredded souls along the way. And it's going to happen to everyone. And, and then when you break through on the big time, it happens there too. Um, so your journey towards your music vision is really going to be about your character. It's going to be about who you are and how strong you are as a person. If you're able to press on no matter what, and I mean no matter what. And <laughs> you just keep, you know, these three words in mind, just don't quit ever. <laughs> If <laughs> you just keep those three words in mind, when it gets really tough, you know, then uh, you're going to be okay. You keep moving forward. And that doesn't mean you don't take a break. 
that doesn't mean you can't shift gears. You know, like I said, I want to start out being a rock guitar player um, and ended up being a, a right. producer and writer. I still play guitar as, a, as my own session player on my recordings. Um, but, but now, now that right. and, and, and a variety of other instruments I play are all just tools as part of the umbrella term record producer for me right. anyway. And and just because I play guitar and I and I can play at I play at studio session level, that doesn't mean I'm the right guitarist for the song either. My vibe might not be appropriate, so I often hire other guitarists that their sound and their vibe is just more appropriate for that song. You know, um, right? They want that on. A lot of them. times, you'll get a vocalist who is an amazing lead vocalist, but isn't so hot at harmonizing with themselves, but they want to be able to say, I did all the vocals myself. Right. They want that. But if we bring in a couple of session singers who really can nail the harmonies, maybe it makes a better record. And so they don't, you know, that's the ego thing, you know? Uh, So they won't be able to say, Oh, I did all the vocals myself, but then also, Having background singers who aren't you makes you perceived bigger. You've got more people behind you sonically. You know? Yeah. Making the best record that you possibly can, putting your ego aside because you don't have to you don't have to do every single vocal on it if it's still your song and your creation and becomes the best record for that reason. It's part of like everything that you said like to be the best producer or make the best record you even have the Be- even the beatles when they when they recorded my guitar gently weeps they brought in eric clapton to do the leads on it you know the beatles <laughs> so if the beatles can do it so can you but the important thing is that the, the general uh takeaway is to keep in mind that the number one reason why people don't achieve music success is ego it is the number one destroyer of music dreams and careers so you've got to find a way to keep that in check now that doesn't mean don't be confident i'm talking about ego the part of your brain that protects you from pain where like someone does say the song's bad and it might be bad instead of being like why is this bad you're like, it's not bad. It's just, you don't get it. Just Exactly. Like, oh, oh, you just don't understand my music, you know. You don't understand the rubber ducky that I was talking about. <laughs> right. That exactly. Is best. It's you real. don't understand my grandma <laughs> loved and raised me, gave me that rubber ducky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, I want to I wanna plug a little something. Um, sure. I, give out, I give out these free music success video nuggets and written tips that come out every week. Um, And also, uh, this is pretty vital, a list of the nine music career-killing mistakes and how to avoid them. Uh, It'd be pretty cruel if I didn't include how to avoid them. And people can get this, just uh, you just go to joesolo.com, and uh, after a couple seconds, a little window will pop up and just enter your email, and and, uh, they'll start coming. And the, ver- the first video nugget is called How to Get Your Music in Film and TV, which is one of the best places where new acts are breaking through now because the people in film and TV are always looking for like the next big thing, the next new thing that they can be a part of. You know, in addition to it being their job to procure music for their projects, where they get their joy from is discovering somebody new and being the one who said yes and i'm the one who first brought this to the world interesting so like people in that way you see them like actively searching just as much like those music curators are actively searching just as much to find that artist they could break out just as much as any label because they want to be the person that was like yeah remember in my movie when that part happened and i played that song and then three months later they got 
huge. Remember that? That was me. Yeah, and, and all these music supervisors, they're all close. They're very tight-knit. There's only like about 15 music supervisors that cover 90% of the music in Hollywood. Oh and, and they're all buddies, and they all know each other really well. So it's, it's, it's bragging rights. Crazy. And, you know, it's bragging rights. But uh, that could also work against you. If you're not professional in your approach to them, they'll all find out really fast. You know, right? Every, yeah, good or bad, all of them will know the same thing. So, like when you when you when you approach people, you know, you've got to you've got to have proper etiquette. You've got to be polite and just be cool. Don't send in your music and then, like two hours later, well, did you listen to it yet? What do you think? You know, give them two or three weeks. They're very busy people. Yeah. And then drop a line. Hey, just dropping a line, just circling back to see if you had a chance to, to you know, check it out. Um, no pressure. And I hope you're doing well. That, you know, be nice. Be polite. goes a long way. A really be, long way. Be a person that people are cool to hang out with for 125 hours. Yeah. <laughs> very good point. Very, very good point. Um. I got some other things coming up too. Uh, I got a product coming out soon called Make It Big in a Box, and it's a compendium of all of dozens and dozens of hours of of, of video uh, keynote speeches and one on one conversations with artists. All it's all rendering useful advice, hundreds of written tips, and it even comes with a a, a, a live one-on-one consultation with me awesome um that's coming out next year and then also uh we're partnering with a uh, my company's partnering with a the youth uh academy awards to put on a a 10-day immersive workshop that is a blend of music cinema and fashion wow and knowing even if you're just in one area of those, knowing the others and how they all work together puts you closer towards like mogul status in terms of your knowledge. Love it. Um, and um, uh, we're only gonna, we only have room for 200 people. We're advertising this thing worldwide. And so um, if you want to find out more about that, that's another reason to sign up and uh, at joesolo.com to get the um, the video nuggets and the tips because you'll also get information on that. When's um, that going down? And, uh, that's going down in June next year. Uh, it takes place right in Hollywood. It's got red carpet excursions. It's got we've got top professionals being the instructors. Everyone is highly credentialed. Um. And, uh, you know, my, uh, there's, there's a company email, um, info.com info at josolo.com. And you don't have to remember this. It comes, it, it, it shows up at the end of, of all the tips I send. And if you want to get on, like thing, a, I'll put all this in the show notes too. So yeah, there'll be like you, links at our website too. If you what I'm saying is you want to get on the first call list for this before we open up the tickets to the public then we'll do that early in. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I probably got to go to 1203. I got a recording session in an hour that I have to be at. That's about an hour and a half drive. <laughs> Fair enough, man. So, I am. Hey, Joe, I have like five questions. I usually ask at the end. I know you have to jet now. Could I email them to you and then put those in afterwards? Like just your email response. I'll just vocalize it to the audience. Yeah. 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 Or if you want to do a part two or both, that's fine too. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for hanging out with me, Joe. You're busy, yeah. today, so uh, it's nice to grab a little bit of your time, man. And it's well, good to because it's been a minute, you know. Yeah, good to hang. <laughs> cool. I'll I'll see you at Nam sometime instead. I'll, I'll uh, uh, I'm, I'm 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 doing a keynote speech on the first day of Nam and Winter Nam. It it uh, in Anaheim. I think it's the 21st of January. Um, whatever, whatever the Thursday is of the, the first day of NAM. Let me just look at my calendar really quick just so you, you can know. Let's see. 
looks like I'm speaking. Oh, it's the 16th. All right. At 11 a.m. on the 16th, if you're at the NAM show, uh, I'll be speaking on the state of the music business and what you can do to use that information right away to propel your career forward. Um, and uh, David, if you personally want to go, I'll make sure I get you in. So, Okay. I will see if that can happen. I would love to do that. You're invited. Cool. All right. I got to run. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Joe. I will talk to you later, my man. All right. Bye-bye. Peace. All right, guys. That is a wrap of the Waking Up From Work podcast. You just listened to episode 35. Thank you for joining me all the way till the end here. If you loved what you heard, head on over, give us a review or a rating, or go check out some of the social and get into some conversation on what we just talked about a little bit. And I would love to hear your opinion on it, your hot take. If you want to see the show notes, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. All the links for Joe are in the show notes and on the website, and you can see what he's up to. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking to Ryan McCurley from McCurley Creations, and we're going to be talking about kind of coming up with schedules for content. He, He did a 365, so every day of the year coming out with a video type of thing that has done a lot for him. I also wanted to talk about, because we're in kind of the same stage, really, just in different creatives. And I wanted to talk about some of the struggles that you face when you're doing free work to get a portfolio versus starting to price your work and seeing your own worth in it. And I know that we've touched on that a lot in the podcast, but talking with him the other week over coffee, I thought the way that he voiced it would be a great way to bring it to you. So we're going to be going live on Wednesday at 12 p.m. If you want to tune in on either Instagram or Facebook, or this will be out next Monday. Really excited to share it with you guys for episode 36. Have a killer week. 